Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. 1857-15996, the number to call this glorious Thursday morning. There was light at 7 a.m. It was beautiful to see. Beautiful, beautiful morning. 1857-15996, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. For the next few days, that dirty, wet, scummy stuff that was down across us for that, it's gone. And looking at my favourite weather app, The Dark Sky, we have got some lovely weather coming over the next few days, through the weekend and into the early days of next week. The arrival of spring, the correct and proper and timely and scientific arrival of spring on Monday, will be greeted by spring-type weather, which is lovely. Good morning, it's Thursday. And today, the Doyle will continue its debate on the mandatory quarantine legislation. And before I go to my first guest this morning, I want to remind you of the man we spoke to on Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which it was. One of the two anyway. At this stage, all the days blur into one. I think it was Tuesday. Where we spoke to Professor Mike Toole, who is an epidemiologist in Melbourne, Australia. And I asked him to sum up for me the mistakes that the Irish government must not make in preparing for a mandatory hotel quarantine system. And he told me that back at the start of the pandemic, when they introduced mandatory quarantine a bit too fast in Australia, now our crowd could never be accused of doing things a bit too fast, but that's a by the by. He said they made a number of mistakes and his advice to us was do not make those mistakes. I think the key mistakes to avoid is um, contracting or subcontracting private security guards. All staff should be employed by a single agency. That can be government or um, non-government. The second is that all staff must be tested daily, including their days off. Thirdly, guests have to stay in their rooms for the entire state. Um, in Melbourne, people are not allowed to smoke either inside or outside their rooms, but they are provided medical support and given nicotine replacement therapy free of charge. Um, and I, I think we've learned there cannot be any exceptions. Everyone has to go into quarantine. 
I'm joined by the leader of Fianna Fáil, or the leader of Sinn Féin, rather, Mary Lou MacDonald, and getting confused <laughs> between everyone at this stage. I have so many politicians with me. Mary Lou, good morning, thank you for you joining us. That certainly was a, a Freudian... Indeed there. it was, you never know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, no, I, I know. well, I suppose if we I went know, far back right. enough into your past, we'd find membership, wouldn't we? <laughs> No, no. I, I think I think the people of Cork, the good people of of your city and county, know know that I'm a Sinn Fein leader. You are indeed. Leader. You are indeed. No, I wanted to talk to you, Mary Lou, and in particular to bring in that those comments from yeah. the Melbourne-based epidemiologist Professor Mike Toole going into the debate today on mandatory quarantine. What would you do if you were Taoiseach? Well, I, I mean, I think I think he's given some um, very wise counsel there, and we, we would do well to listen to him and to learn from the experience of Australia and elsewhere. <clears throat> PJ, if I were Taoiseach, we'd already have a system of mandatory quarantine. We have been calling for this for um, almost a year now, and the public health experts have uh, had recommended it to government uh, almost a year back. Also. And the the logic here is really, really simple. Um, We have a huge job to manage to get ahead of to suppress this virus here on this island. Um, And that has, as your listeners know, uh, required just the most extraordinary sacrifices from people. Their lives have been literally turned upside down. Um, But there is little sense in making all of those asks and bringing all of that uh, suffering and disruption on Irish society, if at the same time you have travel onto the island without the the adequate testing, and by that I mean not just a negative test upon arrival, but a second mandatory test five days in, and a system of universal hotel quarantine for all um, non-essential travel and that's not to punish people <clears throat> I mean ordinarily as you know we're very welcoming and we're delighted to have people visit yeah. uh, Ireland but but now is not the time to be coming here um, and I think the failure of government to introduce this form of quarantine is a very very significant failure and I know it's one that has caused um, huge frustration at this stage and I have to be honest with you PJ and I've, I've said this directly to the Taoiseach, who is, of course, the actual, the, the leader of Fianna Fáil. Um, I, I actually do not understand why it is that they are still dragging their feet on this issue I, with the emergence of variants, which clearly have caused them deep concern. I mean, we now have a situation where the British variant, uh, or one of them, is now accounting for the vast majority of, of uh, infections on mm. the island. We know that there are there are traces there there have been cases of the Brazilian variant. We're now hearing news of perhaps the South African variant, and there are many many. There's a, a rather worrying Californian variant. Yes, uh, in, in and the nature of this the, the nature of this PJ is as such. You see, viruses um, adapt and they mutate. You know, th- th- this is almost a, a race between us and COVID nineteen. But, but they adapt and they mutate. And the more space and the more opportunity that they are given, that this virus is given to infect, it will change and it will adapt. And we need to be really conscious of the fact that it, worst case scenario, 
um, that could, in fact, undermine even our vaccination efforts. So this is a critical issue. And let me say, the opposition is united on this matter and has been for some time. And it's not a case of punch and Judy or having a go at government. We are pressing this and have pressed it for months because it is so vitally important. You're... you're, you're very good at sniffing the political mood, Mary Lou. Why do you think the government is resisting going for it like Dr. O'Toole says we need to? I don't know. Um, I think that uh, they have been extremely reluctant, extremely timid is the word I would use on the entire issue of travel onto the island from the very beginning. I mean, I've had uh, long conversations with them about achieving an all-island approach. In fact, I think I may have discussed that with you on this show but previously, uh, PJ, um, and pressing for, for example, data sharing between Belfast and Dublin. And mm. for reasons that I will never be able to explain to you, if I'm honest, um, the administration in Dublin dragged its heels for a year, for a year, in terms of just basic data sharing, to the extent... Their argument was GDPR. Well, but um, the Attorney Generals had met. We were told that those matters had been straightened out. The administration in Belfast um, was ready, game ball, good to go. Robin Swan, a unionist colleague who is the... Uh, the Minister for Health uh, in the North, a colleague of ours on the executive, mm. was hugely critical of Dublin and of Minister uh, Donnelly and the, the kind of delays that, that we were encountering. So I can't explain to you exactly why the reluctance uh, has been there. I can confirm for you that the reluctance is a long-standing one. But more importantly, that's then and this is now. What we need now is a change in government policy and we need a quarantine regime that ensures that all non-essential travel onto the island, 14 days holiday or um, a hotel quarantine with a negative test upon arrival, a second mm-hmm. uh, test uh, thereafter or more as the public health ad- advises. And that's really how we can see and create the defences that we need to have an end game yep. to this cycle of lockdowns. And I think, PJ, we can agree, all of us, that that's what we all want to see. Much as people will agree with you with regard the the, the Republic and, and the need for mandatory quarantine, I don't think anybody argues at this stage other than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Green Party. But you still have the problem of the North, where you are, like you say, in government on the executive up there. And you still have the Dodge, where if even if we did have quarantine here, someone can still fly in to Aldergrove and hire a car and drive down unfettered into Ireland. So until something happens north of the border, we're kind of goosed. Well, well, you're right to say that the all-island nature of this is problematic. And of course, that's a function of partition, but that's a discussion for another day. Just to let you know, though, there are no international uh, flights into the north now. So, um no, there, there are none. Um, and the problem that arises currently with the north is travel from Britain. And to that end, what we have long advocated with the government and with colleagues on the executive is that we adopt not just an all-Ireland north-south strategy, but a two-island strategy. 
and that the government in Dublin and the executive in Belfast press yeah. um, London for a coordinated Can you bring approach. the DUP online for that, though? You're going to well, struggle. Look, but, but listen, I've just described to you a scenario where a unionist colleague on the executive, no, not a DUP member, an Ulster They're unionist the member, was, was pressing for uh, cooperation with Dublin, and it was Dublin that was resisting. Yeah. So it, it's, I think if, good, if common sense prevails here, PJ, if a bit of cop-on prevails here, um, and if we get, get, get with it now and understand that we have now another shot at really aggressively suppressing this yeah. virus, and, and more importantly, as importantly, building the defences in terms of proper quarantine, but also testing and tracing capacity, yeah. um, a strong, effective and safe rollout of our vaccine programme. If we get all of those strands right, then we give ourselves the best shot, not just of suppressing the virus, but of staying ahead yeah. uh, of it. And by the way, it, the, the government, the executive in the North is a five-party administration. It is complicated mm. by its nature. It, it, London holds jurisdiction on, on many issues, unfortunately, still. But would um, it be right in we, suggesting, we Mary Lou, hard. that if, if, the, if, the, if the executive in the North made some kind of resolution... London has to respect it. They they do in in many matters, and and the practical outworkings of it would be, of course, that would that would make a huge difference. But it's that that's not a that's not a universal um, truth. Um, but but what I think is true is that there has to be very strong proactive engagement, yeah. particularly by the government in Dublin. And can I say? No, the reason I suggested that is because yeah. we we know that under under Boris's plan as announced the other night uh, from the middle of May these international flights will start to return yes. to Belfast Yes, and at and the same time we could be approaching yeah. getting out of hopefully getting out of restrictions down here well, we, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very very problematic Yeah and that's, that's why we have consistently argued PJ that there has to be absolute uh, coordination, maximum cooperation north to south and south to north. So communication between the government and the executive, communication between the government between Dublin and London mm. is all important. And let me say this, there's nobody imagines for a second that being in the executive at this time or being in government in Dublin at this time is easy. It is not. These are very, very difficult times and I want to acknowledge that. But that said, um, when we are asking of uh, the population just incredible sacrifice. And when there's people, PJ, who haven't seen a day's work in a year, people who have been sick, people who have been bereaved, all all of the, the, the horror that we know of, in those circumstances, government has to be on its game and they have to be getting the basics right. And I consider testing and tracing this mm. issue of quarantine, the issue of the efficacy, you know, the, the, the smooth uh, rollout of the, the vaccine... These are the, the, the basic building blocks yeah. and we have to get them right. And Dublin, in terms of the island, the government in Dublin has to be the leader in that sure. regard. In terms, though, of, of and staying with the executive in the north for a moment, and, and Morris is, is asking me to put a bit more 
fought into the political situation there. And, and, it's, and it's this, Mary Lou, yes, it is difficult. It's a five-party executive and, and, and all of that. But the, you, you'll no doubt be familiar with Dr. Gabriel Scally, who, apart from Matt yes. is a very proud Belfast man. Mm-hmm. And, and he spoke to me on, on this programme a few weeks ago, and he said quite passionately, he said, come on, we got a Good Friday agreement on the table and signed. Could we not do something about the border and the north? Well, Sinn Féin and the Gabriel. DUP were sworn enemies and you managed to cut a deal over, over on the Good Friday Agreement. Now, not everybody liked everything in it, but you did a deal. Yeah. Is it not possible to pressurise the DUP and, and not, them, not have them the problem? Uh, well, well, yes, it is. Um, but, but that requires more than, than just uh, Sinn Féin. That requires a collective effort. And, I mean, I, I've heard Gabriel Scali <clears throat> express many times his frustrations and can I tell you they are frustrations that I um, share but uh, the truth is that uh, from the beginning there was there was uh, an instinct I suppose among some of our unionist colleagues um, to look to London and Boris Johnson and herd immunity and a kind of a, a laissez-faire approach with this uh, public health emergency and it's important that you know PJ that uh, the Sinn Féin members of the executive, Michelle O'Neill in particular, took that on. And it led to uh, a number of very public um, disagreements uh, and arguments and some very frank talking between ourselves and the DUP. And we managed to get a much better and a much uh, more proactive um, public health approach to to this uh, public health emergency than would have been the case and on that occasion, ironically, Michelle got uh, got criticised for having these arguments with the DUP. She only had them because they were absolutely necessary. Of course, the best way is for colleagues on the executive to deliberate, to to be rational, to be fair, to understand that this is a public health emergency. It's not about the constitution. That seems to be issue, the problem that the DUP you know? have an understanding. They, they seem to have a problem dis- differentiating between a public health emergency and, and, and a political opportunity. And, you know, <laughs> anyway, look, let, let us move on to, to what might yeah. happen once we, once we get through those difficulties and, and where we go from here, south of the border and the, the mandatory quarantine and all that. We're doing it, we're looking at the vaccine rollout. Now, other than the fact that the supply is still a bit slow, how do you feel about the way the vaccines are being rolled out? Well, I, I, I think the issue of supply is a big one. I, I've, I've heard that um, the, the government is now saying that that matter will be resolved and that in the second quarter and beyond that we will have greater supply. So I very much welcome that. Um, in terms then of its rollout... I know every person who has received a vaccine, whether they're a frontline worker or some of our older citizens, um, the the experience of delight and relief is is just overwhelming for them. And of mm. course, that is to be that is to be uh, rejoiced in. I, I am concerned, though, that there are some who have been forgotten um, in the the vaccine rollout plan. And I would like to particularly mention family carers. Mm. Uh, I've raised this with the government now a number of times. Um, I've explained to them that family carers um, are very much part and parcel of the care system of the state. In fact, they save the state uh, an estimated 20 billion euro every year in the care that they provide with love and compassion for their loved ones in their family homes. 
And if if those carers, if their health is jeopardised, if they become infected and become sick, the question then uh, becomes not just a, a, a real um, disaster for, for their family, but for the state also, because in the absence of those family carers, who, who does that caring? Mm, because and, you know, the argument is made that... Stretched. The argument is made that once the person, the vulnerable person for whom they care is vaccinated and immune, then where's the problem? Well, the problem is that um, if the carer themselves becomes sick, mm-hmm. what happens then? That's that's the question that they are putting. And I, I think it's important to say, I'm not arguing that family carers should, you know, gazump uh, frontline workers or the very elderly and frail and, and family carers more to the point aren't aren't looking for that. What they are asking is that their caring role and responsibility is acknowledged and that they are given clarity and given a pay, a place in the order of priority to be vaccinated because the reality is um, if they become sick, if they fall ill, well then their caring duties will fall to who? will fall to the state, will fall to the public health care system. How will that work? And it's a very fair question. And I'm very disappointed in in the way all of this has been handled because I I was given to understand last week, um, as was my colleague, Pierce Doherty, from the Taunashta and I from the Taoiseach, that advice was being sought from um, NIAC, um, from the Immunisation Authority. They are rejigging some of the categories. Yes, and, and in fairness, they, they took a look at those with uh, serious underlying conditions like cystic fibrosis, like cancers, and they have been reprioritised. But I understood that they would also be looking at family carers, and I think they need to. I think this is a serious matter, and I know family home carers consistently believe that they are forgotten and left behind. And because the work they do is behind closed doors and unseen... Yeah. We, uh, we, don't, we don't we don't see them and and, and so they, they and if, if you don't deal with that cohort, yeah. exactly. are the exactly. firefighters still unvaccinated? Still way yeah. down the list? Yes, that's right. And um, we we rely on um, on these public servants to keep us all safe. I, I was listening very carefully, particularly to Angarda Shiagona when they're they're now trying to assess what their role might be. In, uh, in terms of quarantine arrangements. Um, it seems that uh, they have very little as of yet instruction or understanding as to, to what that is or what that might be. And one of their concerns is that they might be ex- further exposed to the possibility of, um, of infection. And of course, that has to be weighed into um, everything um, that is done. And it, to me, w- one of the things that has been really a problem, uh, not just in recent times, but throughout this crisis, has been very disjointed communication, not just from the government to the general public, and mm. you're, you'll have seen that for yourself, but, but also from government and from different departments to stakeholders. It seems to be very patchy and at times very confused. Mm. So I was alarmed to, to hear that. Look, we need to get, we need to get the, the supply of vaccine up um, and I think we need to explore every avenue uh, within the European framework, but also outside of it, if that's possible, um, to get the vaccine. And the sooner we hit those critical thresholds of 60, 70, 80 percent 
of vaccination. And let me emphasize this has to be done safely and with people's consent. Uh, but once we're hitting those thresholds, it really is a okay. very, very significant game changer for Bri- us. Briefly before I let you go, and there's a mood on the on the ground at the moment in the last few days. There's one incident up in, in Leinster, and I'll be talking later this morning to a business person who is thinking of doing it here. A lot of business people, small business owners, are getting so frustrated at this stage that they are threatening to open their doors and, as it were, go rogue in contravention of the restrictions. What is your message as leader of the opposition to somebody who might be considering that? Well, I I would ask them not to do that. And I, I would ask them that in the full knowledge of their deep, deep frustration. And I know myself from... Uh, speaking to vast numbers of people who have been out of work and business owners who haven't been able to operate now um, in some cases for the best part of a year, that they are hugely aware themselves of just how dangerous this virus is. I don't think there's a business person anywhere uh, who wants to put themselves, their staff, or their clients at risk at all. But I do understand their frustration and I think they are expressing what possibly everybody else feels and that is a a frustration at the lack of a plan. You see, I think people will do the hard yards. People have done the hard yards. People have made the sacrifices and made the the adjustments in their topsy-turvy lives now. But, But I think it comes back to what I said to you earlier, PJ, People expect to see a plan, an end game, a light at the end of the tunnel, a reassurance from their government that actually we're getting the basics right. So I would say to those business people, we need government to get this quarantine issue nailed down properly. We need to get the right uh, number of contact tracers. By the way, we still only have 800 of those, Mm. believe it or not, a year in. We need to make sure we have the right testing capacity, serial testing for schools and meat factories Mm. And and beyond that, and then we need to move heaven and earth to get the vaccine supply right and to get the administrative chain right safely um, to the population. But and if pe- we can, people people are thinking of giving it a go as we speak now. People are thinking of giving it a go next Monday morning. Yeah, well, I I I, I don't uh, don't believe they should do that. That's not safe. Oh. That is simply not a safe thing to do. Just. Final word, because I, I, I want this to be a hopeful conversation, because if we get government facing in the right direction and as opposition, we will hold them to account. We will we will hammer them for doing the wrong things, but we will support them absolutely for doing the right things. And if we can get these right building blocks lined up, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But as we're speaking today, PJ, just remember there are still high levels of community transmission. Mm-hmm. There are still high hospitalisation. We have our, some of our people in ICU. People are dying still from this uh, virus. Now is not the moment to be taking a chance. And I hear the anger and the frustration. And God almighty, I share some of it. But we need to channel that frustration in a positive way to actually force the powers that be and those that are currently in government to make the right decisions now, to face us in the right direction. And if we can collectively do that by pressurising them, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, the whole lot of them, if we can exert an, an that's a constructive action on our part. But opening up businesses or exposing people to risk now 
please don't do that. All right, leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Mary Lou MacDonald, leader of Sinn Féin, leader of the opposition. Thank you, 1850 Very clear message there to people thinking of going rogue. Please don't do it. There's two separate kinds. There's the Paul Travoz of this world who I spoke to earlier in the week who's saying, right, 1st of July, by which time if I can't open my business then I'm banjaxed. Then there's the other side who are thinking about opening tomorrow. You saw that thing up the country, that beauty salon up the country, which to me just looked like a platform for, for a particular kind of activist rather than someone innocently opening a business. But we've got a, a business person here in the city looking at opening her business in the next few days out of sheer frustration. There's the clear message this morning from the leader of Sinn Féin. Do not do that. Please do not do that. It is too dangerous. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Griffin's new chipping potatoes are specially grown to make the perfect homemade chip. Fluffy inside and crunchy outside. Now in store. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Corks 96 FM. Bridget wants to know why is no politician demanding and insisting on behalf of the population a clear explanation and justification from the leader why quarantine isn't mandatory for everyone coming into the country. Well, I think that is being asked, Bridget. Everybody in the opposition, every opposition party now wants full mandatory across the board quarantine. We have the advice from Melbourne that you have to do it and the advice from Melbourne that you have to do it right. But for some strange reason, the government seems determined to only do it for 20 countries. Uh, I have to ask the question, who are they afraid of? Whose toes are they afraid to step on? Of whom are they afraid to make an enemy? That is the question I would be asking. Marie or Mary says, I've never heard any government leader of any of the three parties fully address what happened over Christmas. You get possibly a fleeting reference, then it's a big disaster. And the leadership addresses the problem, explain how things goes wrong, fully acknowledges they implemented the wrong decision-making process. They explain what they'll do differently. If our leaders had a conscience, they would see all the harm that has happened and shut down the borders now fully. Well, actually, Mary, that's kind of dealt with by the opinion poll in the Irish Times this morning. Because if you, if you look at it, satisfaction with the government is, is down to 45%, which is down 13 points. Um, and dissatisfaction is up to 51%. Presumably the other 4% just don't care. But... Remember that one of the reasons we're in this mess is, and Michal Martin has acknowledged it in an interview a few weeks ago with the Daily Mail, or the Mail on Sunday, he said they wished they'd listened 
to the advice before Christmas. They regretted not going with the advice before Christmas. In other words, if they'd listened to Neffet, we mightn't be in this mess. They didn't listen to Neffet. Two occasions, they didn't listen in October and we were forced to close down in November. They didn't listen in December. And look at the mess we've been in for the last six or seven weeks. Satisfaction. This is an Irish Times opinion poll published this morning. Satisfaction with the chief medical officer, Dr. Houlihan, and I assume Neffet, which he chairs, is at 83%. 83% think that our chief medical officer is doing the right job. 185715. 996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Be with me for the biggest tunes across your afternoon. I'll give you all things Cork. I'll make sure you're all over those online viral trends. It's good, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Plus, there's always a chance to be a winner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't miss out. Make it part of your afternoon routine in Cork. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. We've heard a lot in the last 24 hours or so about the changes in the vaccine plan and that they're changing one or two of the categories, moving certain people up, but of course some people might end up getting moved down. That's one element of the plan. The other thing is that we, if we're to believe what we're reading and hearing, that by the end of April, start of May, we'll have plenty of vaccine to go around. In fact, if Johnson & Johnson comes on board, and it looks like it will very soon, we'll have more than we can deal with. We'll have more than enough, one for everybody in the audience and two for everybody in the audience eventually. But there's a, an expert at UCC, Dr. Elizabeth Brint in, their, in Brint in their pathology department there, who reckons it's time now to look at how we could make the present supply more effective. And that is to spread out the gap between the first dose of, say, Pfizer or Moderna the first dose, or AstraZeneca, and the second dose. And this is because of very good data, very interesting data coming from Israel, where they, of course, have one of the most advanced vaccination programs in the world now. That in actual fact, we can afford to wait a little bit of time before giving people a second jab, which means that more of us then get a first jab in the meantime. Dr. Brint, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the programme. Delighted. Looking at the information coming out of Israel, what does it tell you? Yes, it's it's quite a it's quite a kind of tricky enough concept to get your head around because there's risks associated with 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 both sides in a sense. 
the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was trialled at a three-week gap. So they gave the first jab and three weeks later they gave the second jab, which is a completely reasonable approach. And of course, their data was extremely positive on the background of that. And that's what we and most countries in the world have adopted. And just to bear in mind that Britain took a very different approach, a very interesting approach, and at the time a very controversial approach in which they decided to space out their gap of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. They also decided to space out their gap of the AstraZeneca vaccine, but there was more data to back that decision up with the AstraZeneca vaccine, so they knew that was likely to work. This is Britain now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they took that decision with both of those in Britain. And of course, we know now they've reached a huge number of people with the first jab. So the data that came out last week that was published in The Lancet, which is a very reputable, excellent medical journal, showed that one dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is indeed providing a very high level of protection, a very good level of immune response. Mm. So that'll have given the British uh, government a huge boost for their controversial decision. So I guess my question I posed in the Echo yesterday was just whether we should really... You know, our, our, our process so far has been really very good and in line with our supplies. And is there merit in at this kind of critical phase in reviewing our process and evolving our strategy, evolving it with the data that's now coming available, showing this very good immune response with one dose of the vaccine? Yeah. It comes with a certain amount of risk, though, because obviously it's not what the um, pharmaceutical companies their trials based on but now we have all this data coming out of the UK really as well as Israel who have taken this different approach and is it time for us to rethink in in line with the new data because given the amount of vaccine presently arriving in the country uh, it would allow us to give more forced doses and therefore get through the vulnerable faster yeah yeah that's it and so it's it's a balance of risk, isn't it? It's it's a balance of risk trying to decide whether that's an appropriate course of action to take and um, to kind of go slightly against the recommendations only for a week or two in order to get that first jab into the more vulnerable population quicker. Um, there's other ways of doing it as well. So Denmark have taken a really interesting approach. So Denmark haven't kept back any vaccines. So, you know, here we're keeping back the second dose. Mm. So we have a a small pot of vaccines available at all times to facilitate the second dose. So Denmark decided not to do that. So Denmark just vaccinated absolutely every bit of vaccine that comes through. They're still giving their second dose in time in yeah. line with um, with with the three weeks, but they're they're not keeping any back. They're just they're, they're not putting they're not putting uh, a quantity into storage when they get That's them. It. They're just going yeah. out into and just vaccinating yeah. and yeah. 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 Yeah, and they're gambling that they're going to definitely have enough coming through for the second jab. And so far, that gamble has worked out for them. And they're in line to be the first in Europe to be finished their vaccination programme. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's just a question of thinking at this moment whether there is a different approach, just thinking about whether there is an alternative route that we should be considering, really. Because mm. the information from Israel, the, first of all, the research group was 8,000 hospital workers. It was eight, yeah, that's right. It was 8,000 hospital workers. So they were a group that was more likely to be infected because they're coming into contact with it more. And they were a group that very interestingly had more access to uh, speedy testing. So because of the, the hospital environment. So the data from that Lancet paper is very, very good. 
There was another interesting study came out in uh, from Public Health England um, from looking at Scotland and looking at the amount of vaccinations they've done in Scotland now, which is 5 million. And that's showing a good level of immune response up to five weeks after the first injection of the Pfizer-BioNTech. Yeah. So you, you, on the basis of the data, and scientists operate by the data, on the basis of the data, the, the probability is that the risk wouldn't be too high. So the, the risk would really be associated with a potential increase in variance. Yes. Um, that's what the geneticists and the virologists would major concern would be. And so, again, that's, that's a risk. Will... If you think about antibiotics, you know, you have to take your whole course of antibiotics in order to properly clear that bacterial infection. Yes. And we'd all, you know, get very cross if nobody finishes their course of antibiotics. So it's a bit like that. You wonder if you just give the one uh, dose, is there a chance that it'll allow the virus to evolve at a more rapid rate because it kind of hasn't been squashed enough? Um, But, you know, there hasn't been the, the British... That, that this is the approach they've taken in Britain with just one dose and there hasn't been that evolution to date. Yeah. British variant predated their vaccine campaign. Yeah. yeah, okay. Leave it there for now. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Elizabeth Brint at the Department of Pathology in UCC. Could we maybe spread out the gap between dose one and dose two until we have enough to go around and get dose one into as many arms as humanly possible in the vulnerable groups and then come back to them when we have dose two. Is it worth doing that? Because we're told that by the middle end of April, we'll have plenty. One important group that is most unhappy with the uh, mandatory quarantine plan as presently laid down is the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors because they say that they have no idea how this is going to work. Now, bearing in mind this is coming as the mandatory quarantine legislation, such as it is, goes through the doyle. And as the opposition call for across-the-board mandatory quarantine, as the warning from our friend in Australia, Professor Toole, comes, do not do anything other than across-the-board quarantine, we have a very senior Garda organisation, putting up a hand and going, uh, sorry, where do we come in here? Because we don't know what to do. And that is what you're saying, isn't it, Antoinette Cunningham? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's exactly what we're saying, yeah. We don't have any operational guidelines, instructions, or indeed uh, regulations published to us in the organisation at this time. So we're very unsure of what the role of sergeants and inspectors will be. Uh, we simply don't know what's going to be asked of us. And have you had an opportunity to look at the legislation or the heads of the bill, at least, that's going through the doll at the moment? Yeah, I got a brief uh, glance at the bill last night, uh, not in any great detail, as you as you can appreciate. It was only going through the doll yesterday. But look, obviously, we can't comment on a matter that's the subject of political debate. PJ, you'll appreciate that. I do. But, but, but as you as you read it, do you see anything in it that you can take as instructions for your members? Well, what I what I see in it, uh, and I noticed with interest, the policing authority themselves yesterday issued a statement uh, as part of a report to the minister where they said that um, while Gardaí might have a role in terms of responding to incidents at uh, facilities where people are quarantining, they felt that the transporting of people and the supervision of people at those facilities would not be the optimal use of limited Garda resources. It's interesting to see the policing authorities stating that. Whether the politicians will take account of that or not, uh, PG, I'm not too sure. 
But I think you can appreciate for us, if we were involved in the transportation of supervision of people at uh, any facilities where they were quarantining for COVID and there was a health and safety risk attached to that, we'd be very concerned for the people that we represent. Yeah. I think you've been looking to talk to the Minister for Justice um, for, for, for quite a while. Have you had an opportunity yet? No, I haven't. I've been writing to the Minister for Justice every month for the last three months uh, to seek to meet on these and other important matters uh, relevant to sergeants and inspectors PJ. And I suppose as the Minister who ultimately is in charge of Ocarda Siakana, uh, it's disappointing for us that we haven't succeeded in getting to meet her. I mean, three months is a long time in the face of all of that we have done in policing this pandemic and all the challenges it has thrown up for our members. And we're always concerned about their safety, their health, uh, the risks that's attached to policing this COVID crisis. And I think I think the Gardaí have done very well in us, uh, PJ, in the measured approach that they've taken to it. And there obviously are things we'd like to discuss with the Minister. Uh, three months is a long time to be writing to try and seek a meeting. I haven't secured that meeting yet, but uh, I'll stay looking for it. The, the last time we spoke, Antoinette, was on the subject of people quarantining at home and isolating at home. And at that point, you were unsure of the role of Gardaí in policing that. Are you any more sure in, of that today? No, we're not. We're, we're absolutely no more sure. We did listen to Minister Eamon Ryan on the Katie Hannan show on Radio 1 last weekend saying that the Gardaí were already playing a role uh, uh, in relation to people quarantining at home. And genuinely, we hadn't a clue what he was talking about, PJ. We didn't know because no instructions have issued to us in any regard as to what we're supposed to be doing with people quarantining at home. If the uh, immigration unit at the airport are playing some small role or role in that, maybe they are, but it's certainly not known to the majority of frontline members of Angarda Siakana. And I guess, you know, for, for, for listeners' benefit, the structure of the Garda Siakana, it is your organisation that represents the people who give out the daily duties to, if you want, the, the, the Gardaí on the beat. So if you don't know what's going on, how are they going to know what's going on? Well, this is the point. You know, confusion reigns, mixed messaging. You know, public expectation is dampened. Look, the public have been so good, so compliant with all of this, PJ. We've got huge levels of cooperation. There's a really legitimate concern here about quarantining and mandatory quarantining. But I I can tell you at this point in time, today, right now, this morning, we have no knowledge about what our role will be, what duties we'll be asked to do, what our function will be. We don't know what Minister Ryan was talking about uh, when he talked about Gardaí already playing a role. We haven't got to talk to the Minister for Justice. You're right, we are we are the middle-ranking supers, uh, supervisors of the Gardaí. We do give out the daily duties. We can't give out daily duties asking people what to do when there's no operational guidelines around it. Finally, Antoinette, on the subject of the 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 are the regulations as, as we presently have them. Do you get a sense that people are getting sick of it but still putting up with it? I think I think the, the definitely people are, are getting tired of it. Uh, why wouldn't they? We, we've been in this uh, uh, state of, of restriction for a long time now. The, the, the public have been absolutely fantastic in their tolerance, their cooperation, everything they've done, their adherence to people. People haven't seen their families, they haven't seen their grandchildren, they can't go see their parents, their siblings. It's it's terrible. It's a, it's terrible. But all we can do is appeal to people to hold firm and just hopefully we will get through this in the next few months when vaccine increases, when we start to unwind society and try and get back to some level of normality. But for us, 
the courtesy that has been extended to us by the public PJ, the cooperation that we've had from them. Uh, we do really always want to say thanks for that because it is appreciated. It makes our job standing on checkpoints for 12 hours, day in, day out, a lot easier when we get that level of cooperation. It's greatly valued and greatly appreciated. And lastly and briefly, if, if you would, in terms of vaccination, and you mentioned it, there is nowhere at the moment in the list of where Gardaí come in for their vaccination. Is there concern in the ranks that the guards may have been forgotten here? I, I hope we're not forgotten. Uh, we are uh, always in the Gardaí uh, anxious that the most vulnerable in our communities, the elderly, those with medical conditions, and of course the frontline healthcare workers would be vaccinated first. But certainly when all of those people are done, and it, it is very heartening to see uh, the, the, the elderly and vulnerable in our communities going to vaccination centres and getting their vaccination, and that, that would give anyone a lift to see that. But certainly we can't be forgotten. We're facing a daily challenge, PJ. We're standing out there interacting with people. We're, we're, we're working closely with a range of people going into their homes, into their premises. We need protection, but only after a certain point. But we hope we won't be forgotten in that when the time is right. Thank you for your time this morning. And Ness Cunningham, General Secretary of the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you that the Premier League Live is back this after, or this weekend rather, Saturday, uh, on Cork's 96FM's website, 96FM.ie, or indeed on the app on your phone. You can join Trevor Welsh exclusively online for Premier League Live, powered by TalkSport. He's got Manchester City versus West Ham at half 12, West Brom v Brighton at 3, Leeds against Aston Villa half 5, and Newcastle versus Wolves at 8 o'clock. Long old day again for Trev and the team. Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sports Pass and listen Saturday. Download the app right now and be ready. You'll find the Premier League live tag on our app and you can go to the stream or indeed you can go to the website 96fm.ie and indeed if you want to catch anything that you missed in the first hour of our programme this morning you can go to the app as well, pick up the podcast this afternoon, or indeed you get the podcast on any of our regular podcast platforms, and we put it on Twitter uh, early afternoon. Uh, the whole show uh, goes up every afternoon, around, yeah, between two and three in general, and then goes to all your platforms, and remember that it's free. 1850 the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 0833 96 96 96, the email, opinion at 96 fm. .ie. A little bit later, talking to a Fianna Fáil TD who wants to give out hotel vouchers for the over 65s after they've been vaccinated and when the hotels can open again. That's coming. But first of all, I mentioned that this uh, was coming up and we got wind of it yesterday and we contacted her and she's with me this morning. Susan Ryan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Susan, are you opening the shop? I am sorely tempted, but when I look at the girl in Dublin left standing alone with, with no support, it really doesn't bode well, does it? And I don't fancy a two and a half thousand fine either. Mm. Why are you thinking of opening up? Bottom line here is, when, when this COVID hit first, 
we all went into lockdown and we took it all on the chin and we were all happy to, to do that because there was an end in sight and it was a plan. But we have had the longest lockdown in the world and we're into our third one. And yet we're no better off. The numbers are still there. So the government wanted us to, to lessen the curve, and which we did. But now they're talking about getting rid of COVID and that's never going to happen. That's just not going to happen. So this learning to live with COVID is something we've, we've got to take on board. So therefore we've got to uh, learn how to work with it safely. We opened our salons um, under guidance and under um, strict regulation with regard to gloves and gowns and hats and sterilisation and cleaning between clients, separating them all out, taking much less at a time. Mm. We did all of that, but fat lot of good it did us. And that was at huge expense as well. So we couldn't take as many clients at the same time. So we were losing, but at least we, had to go, we went to work every day as best we could and, and did it safely. Mm. Are you not being supported, though, by the government through various schemes at the moment? Yes, but it's very, very little in, in, in comparison to what, what the salon needs to earn to stay, to stay open. I mean, I still am going to owe a whole year's rent, when I, well, loads of rent when I go back. I'm going to owe rates and service charges and my phone bills, and they're all, I have to meet all them every month, regardless. So when, like, what people don't seem to realise is you walk past shops and they're closed. You think, you know, it's closed, big deal. But there are people behind that. There are real families. Mm. And, and earning, you know, a little bit from the government every week, which is very welcome, I have to say. But unfortunately, we have to pay that back. They never told us that. That's a loan. That's going to be tagged on to my taxes. So I've got nothing for nothing. But in the meantime, we're all going to be heading back to work with all of these bills facing us. So the ESB isn't going to wait, the gas isn't going to wait. They're all being paid every month. Now, that money doesn't come out of fresh air. That's savings. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Mm. There are many who are not. So, I mean, for what I can see, you know, um, like Neffet are, are, are focused solely on, um, on dealing with COVID. And, and that, that's fine. Public health emergency, that's their oh, job. absolutely. And we are all 110% behind that. But there is an awful lot more illnesses going on. The waiting list for, for theatres and surgeries and elective procedures for damaged hips and knees, and they're all they on are. the back but burner. We're, we're just speaking of Neffet, uh, Susan, for, for a second, would you not accept, because to be fair, Michal Martin has accepted, would you not accept that if the government had not listened to Neffet uh, mm-hmm. as, as early as last October and mm-hmm. taken its warnings on board and not ignored it and tossed it around committees and subcommittees, yeah, right. you mightn't be in the position you're in right now. Look, all I can say is, like, following this now for a no, long no, time... No, it's, it's, it's a kind of straight question. If they didn't, if we didn't lock down, is it? No. If the government had listened to Neffet, when Neffet began to signal in the autumn... Yes. ...that there was a problem and here's what we had to do... Yes. ...and that information and, and um, was tossed around and, and faffed about with for, for weeks on end... And then before Christmas, there was huge pressure from, from lobby groups and, and, and they opened up. If we'd listened to Neffet, we wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe, maybe that is true. But the amount of lockdown and when people were given freedom, they were like cows out of the barn. I mean, the excitement. So maybe that was a wrong decision, but that's not for me to say. Yeah. But what I do know for an absolute fact is country, like, uh, 
like Florida stayed open. California locked down completely. And yet, their statistics are very similar. Very, very similar. So maybe the lockdown didn't... So do you want to take a chance on it then? You see, it's not that I want to take a chance. But it is. No, actually, it's not, PJ. It's not that I want to take a chance. When we were told to put those systems in place, we did. And it was all safe and above board. So we did everything right. And none of the cases came from salons. None of them. Well, that's because we don't trace back far enough. Well, that's, a, that's, that's not right either. They need to do that. So the cost-benefit of all of this and the country in complete lockdown is going to go absolutely broke. And this money has to be paid back and found from somewhere. Yeah. But the politicians can give themselves a pay rise. Yeah. Talk about a kick in the backside there. Mm. Now, if you open on Monday morning, yes, chances are you'll be closed down. Absolutely. But what I am trying to what I'm trying to make clear is there's a huge black market economy going on. The illnesses and the spread of the illness did not come from the responsible business owners. It's coming from people who are going from house to house doing well, hair, nails and barbering. To be fair, there there is there is a story on page two of the Echo this morning uh, that says that Cork now has one of the highest rates of lockdown breaches, the city, yes, in the country. Right. So why here you want to go? Here you want to go do another one? No, I, you're, you're missing my point, Neil. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon, Peter. That's all right. Um, you're missing my point. The whole point is, when people are moving from house to house to house, that is what is spreading the infection. Correct. Not those who are doing one at a time in gowned, sterile, clean conditions. There's a massive difference here. But people have to move into town to get to the salon as well. But they're moving in and out of Duns and in and out of supermarkets and they're right next to each other. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, that doesn't bode well either. Yeah. So, I mean, look, bottom line here is so we have to do our social distancing. There are people... There are people that are weak and they are vulnerable and all the systems have to be in place for them. The healthy can get on with their lives. But the old, the infirm See, that's the problem. and the vulnerable... The problem there, all Susan, the, is... The, hold the on. The problem... The, the healthy can get on with their lives, right? Yes. They tried that in Sweden and it didn't work. Well, in actual fact, I, I kind of would argue with you there, the, the death ratings in Sweden was, was very high because... They have an incredibly elderly population. And if you look at the statistics of those that died, it was the weak and the vulnerable. Are they they okay as collateral damage? Absolutely not. But there's other collateral damage going on here with with breast screening hasn't been done in a whole year. It's resuming at the moment. It's just about now after a whole year. So why couldn't... they were saying they couldn't uh, screen, do breast screening for the simple reason there was no point because there were no theatres available and surgeons available. So, I mean, that's not good enough either. Yeah. So there's a whole secondary area here where people are suffering and will die. They won't be, inverted commas, COVID deaths, but they will be as a result of this lockdown. Why do you say inverted commas COVID deaths? Well, there are deaths related to COVID, but there's a whole other area of deaths, of suicide, um, of... Look, I know for a fact three people who didn't get their cancer treatment throughout the lockdown, and they only started their cancer treatment in December. Mm. And they're terminal, and one of them is in Mary Monk now. Well, I'm now, very sorry to hear right? that. 
I'm very sorry to hear. That's a global issue. That's the thing. It's happening all over the world. It happens in a pandemic. But, but Peter, that doesn't make it right. No, but it happens in a pandemic. Listen, we've had we've had two um, epidemics here. Now, weren't a pandemic, but we had TB and we had polio. But we didn't lock down. The ill were put in to, to segregation and looked after and cared for in a hospital situation mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. held on for, for until the infections were gone in the sanitarium. Which was a form in lockdown, really. That was, that was a form of the sanitarium. A great idea, a great, a great reference. They were a form of lockdown. And that we took, they were, we they took were, all, the, all the sick and, we, and keeping, we, quarant- getting, we quarantined them. It was getting the sick well and keeping the well safe. Yes, 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 yes. So the same, the same principle, this complete lockdown, it, I am so done with it. How would you feel about doing, trying to do something like they did in New Zealand or Australia? What did they do? What did they do? They're living their normal lives. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Because they've got zero community transmission. And the reason they which don't initial, have this, which yes, and even when they do, they had absolute um, lockdown when um, when people came into the country, they were automatically put into the hotels and they couldn't leave. And is that what you want? I would absolutely want it. I mean, between from December to now, and this is a fact now as well, there was 1,900 Brazilians legally came in here, absolutely legally back to work, of which they were told to, to check. 604 looked for checks, and of which of those, there was mm. one in 10 came back positive. W- would, you, would you think that even though they were quite legitimately coming here to go to work, yes. they should still have quarantined for two weeks? Absolutely. Keep them out of circulation, because the new variant is actually what they have brought in. Yeah. So they should have been locked down. I mean, there's photographs there of Dublin Airport this week, and there was no social distancing. Yeah. Again, another problem which was referred to by Professor Toole in Melbourne the other day. It's got to be all or nothing because then you have people who are going to quarantine and aren't going to quarantine mixing in the airport. You see, look, people, and I, you know them and I know them, who just before the lockdown back last year were away and then they came back there was a lockdown. And just told to give your number, your phone number, and you, you were phoned and checked. Sure, who's to, well, I answered my mobile, or anybody would answer their mobile. Yeah. She could be in the supermarket. Well, the, the guards, you, you probably heard Anthony Cunningham there before 10 o'clock. They have no idea how they're going to police all this. They had no instructions. <sighs> Again, the incompetence of it all. And mm. I mean, even with... I, I can hoping, actually hear the frustration in your voice, in fairness. even coming down the, the track, the, the government have known the vaccines were coming down the track. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in the start of February, they were training people to give the injection. Crikey, why wasn't that done back in September, October? Mm. And, and they hadn't even places uh, set aside and earmarked to do these vaccinations. Someone might so put it only, to you, listen, Susan, that in the... There's only 2 to 3% yeah. of the population vaccinated already. In, so at this rate, if you're not in the vulnerable category and you're, you're young, you're not going to be done till nearly Christmas. Well, I wouldn't go with that well, because there's more well, supply. Be com- anyway. There's more supply. There's more supply coming, and it is going to ramp up. There's no doubt about that. But here's the thing: would it not be prudent to hang on for a few weeks more until more people are vaccinated, and then, when he, when restrictions ease, to open again, rather than running the risk of opening your business on on Monday or whenever and being shut down and fined. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm only putting it out there. I just want people to get, get in touch with, with the necessary people who, yeah. who, who can hear what we're saying. Yeah. yeah. We have to be heard. I, listened, I was talking to the President of the Chamber yesterday morning, Paula Cogan, 
who, as you know, when not working with the chamber, she, she works in, in the field, in the medical field as well. And, and I put it to her that some people were thinking about opening up their businesses early and she pleaded with them not to. It's just not safe. Well, I would 110% disagree with her. It is 100% safe. And what is not safe is what's happening at the airports, the people coming in, which all should have been in lockdown and quarantined from day one last Easter, last Patrick's Day, when this, when this lockdown started. And yet there was people still able to come and go into the country and no checks and balances were made at that time. Okay. And that's where, the, that's where it leaves a bit of a sour taste. When will you decide and on what will you base it? I will base it on general feedback, you know, even from the time I just wrote an angry post, you know, I've had, it's now only up at 350 for, and there's three against. Mm-hmm. That I, I, one said I was being selfish, um, one said it's not wise at the moment, and the, the other said don't because you'll only be fined. All the rest was, it's the right thing to do. And many of them have admitted to me that they are getting their treatments done, they are visiting homes, and they have their hairdresser coming Would to them. Would you not accept that the they're hairdresser. part of the problem? Pardon? Would you not accept that they're part of the problem? But sure, that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm doing it properly and above board and I can't open. Fair enough. That's my point. Fair enough. Susan, we'll leave it there for today. People will make up their, their own minds. Susan Ryan is thinking very, very strongly about opening up her business, a beauty salon, possibly as early as next week because she can take this no more. And she's made her case. Sheila, are they really enforcing these fines for holidaymakers? We hear there are thousands coming through the airports and how many of them are holidaymakers or other unnecessary journeys? How many fines are being issued? We're great for dramatic announcements here, but nothing seems to happen. I feel safer, says this caller, going to get my hair cut than going to the supermarket. Certain places like hairdressers are forced to remain closed, yet the supermarkets are packed. God almighty, PJ, listen to that woman. What she's saying is right. We need to get our businesses back in a safe manner. And forget about these lockdowns. They're not working. PJ, it's okay for you. You're getting your wages every week. Try living on the PUP. You mightn't be long changing your mind. I've made the point repeatedly, and at the risk of boring people who listen every day, I never put my two feet on the bedroom floor in the morning with not realising how lucky I am. I do recognise that I'm one of the lucky ones. Absolutely I do. And, and so are my colleagues here on the team. We are, one, we are the lucky ones. And it's very hard for me to put myself into the shoes of someone who's had their business closed for months on end. In fact, it's impossible. I can't possibly empathise or sympathise or even understand. But at the same time, you have to go with the public health doctors. They are the ones. And if you look at it, and here's the thing, let us go to that Irish Times opinion poll. And it, it, I don't really care about state of the parties or this, that or the other. But if you look at the most popular figure in all of this, the figure with whom most people are pleased, most people are pleased. Michal Martin government a 45% satisfaction rating which is high enough for a government to be fair Michal Martin's personal rating 39% Leo Varadkar's personal rating 50% I would suggest both of their personal ratings would go up if they just stopped willy waving and trying to beat one another and best one another but that's okay 50% for Leo Varadkar 
Stephen Donnelly, 42% satisfaction rating at the moment. Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan, 83% of the people polled for the Irish Times, Ipsos, MSBI, etc., etc. And those polls generally have a an accuracy rating of a, between plus or minus 2%. 83% reckon that Tony Houlihan is by far uh, the, the best performing of all the major players in this pandemic. It says a lot. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Take the Throwback Thursday quiz. We'll bring back some of those memories. And I'll bring you the best tunes to fly you through your afternoon. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in how many people would support where Susan is coming from. And let's be clear on what I'm saying. Support where she's coming from. Not necessarily support what she intends to do or is thinking about doing, but can see her problem, can feel her pain. As I say, I cannot feel her pain. Uh, And I have to say that we are the lucky ones in here. And I can't over-acknowledge that. So, you know, but others can see and feel her pain. Uh, She's talking about opening in the next few days because she can take no more of this and people can empathise with that it doesn't mean they support it it doesn't mean they think she should the Chamber of Commerce certainly doesn't think she should the Garda sergeants and inspectors don't think that she should Mary Lou MacDonald leader of Sinn Féin don't think that she should but she feels she may have no choice Uh, I'd like to let that run through the rest of the morning and see how you feel about it 1857-1599. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In sex, Dylan says I don't blame her at this point. Living with COVID is more rubbish by the government. Most of us are suffering and it can't go on anymore. We need some sort of normality. If we get the numbers down to zero and keep them there, we'll get normality. Now, we're, we're doing that. I, I'll do the numbers again tomorrow. Um, I don't normally do them twice a week anymore, but at the moment, the Cork numbers are so exciting. Our five-day average dropped again yesterday in Cork. Dropped again. So it's dropped three times in three days, our five-day average. I, I'll have another look at them tomorrow to finish out the week. 1850 When it's all over and when they're vaccinated and when the hotels open again, Afina Fall TD wants to give the elderly 100 euro vouchers to go off to hotels. Christopher O'Sullivan, Afina uh, Fall TD for Cork Southwest, who will be asking the government to give over 65s who've been vaccinated a 100 euro voucher to go to hotels. Christopher, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What about the rest of us? We've been suffering too. Listen, um, just first of all, if I could, if I could speak, it's, it's not just uh, hotels. Uh, you know, it's hotel accommodation, B and Bs, uh, food, um, restaurants, cafes. I would even include pubs in that. I'm talking about the entire hospitality sector, and, and I think that's one of the main points of the scheme or the initiative that I'm trying to introduce. It's, it's, it has two benefits in that. I think it would benefit that cohort of people, and I'll come back to that in a second. That's why I've uh, selected over 65s. But one of the big points as well is that it is going to benefit a sector that is on its knees. It's incredibly frustrated. Um, We're coming up now on the the month of March, and PJ, you know well that Paddy's Day is generally the the kind of weekend that kicks off the tourism season for many areas. And you know, it's incredibly frustrating and um, infuriating and tough for business owners who are for the second Patrick weekend in a row are having to look at their businesses, their premises are empty, seats are empty, the tables are empty, and you can hear that frustration coming out over the airwaves. Yes. Similar to the last caller you just had on there, which I'm sure we'll go back to as well later. They're at their wit's end, and I think when we do come out of this and we will uh, come out of this because I'm a great believer in the, the um, impact that the vaccine will have that we incentivize um, we incentivize everybody to go and spend and shop local and, and uh, go visit the lo- local tourist attractions and use the local accommodation and the, the local restaurants and cafes etc um, and I think this is just one this could be one of a, a, a suite of measures mm-hmm. that would encourage people to go and spend again but they, coming back yeah, sorry go on and don't get me wrong it's a fabulous idea but, but, but why not just give a voucher to every family in the country because every family has been suffering well I guess the I would see this running in conjunction with the stay and spend scheme which is already there which is a, a tax relief that everybody uh, can avail of um, but the reason I, I've chosen the 60 over 65 in particular. By the way, I just want to say that we had a conversation at our parliamentary party meeting on this last night. It was very much welcomed. It was fully supported. Uh, the Taoiseach himself and Minister McGrath said it's something that they would look at when the time is right. And I think timing is, is key here. Um, but 
other members of the parliamentary party, both senators and TDs, suggested, listen, why not? Why just the over 65s? Just like you said there. Um, and there is an opportunity perhaps to open it up to a, a broader cohort of people, like someone mentioned students, uh, and others mentioned uh, single parents, for example, and, and other people, uh, people who are vulnerable and have had to co- cocoon for um, almost a full year now. So, you know, this is just a starting point. It's getting the conversation going. Mm. Um, but the reason I, I um, have particular interest, I suppose, in the over 65s is that during this process, and at the very start when we introduced the first suite of supports in terms of the PUP payments and the wage subsidy schemes, those who are over 65 from 66 on who, who were in receipt of a pension uh, couldn't, and, and they may have been working, and they've been on your show, and I've heard them on your show frustrated, they weren't able to avail of the PUP payment. Yeah. So this, I guess, is a small gesture back, but as well as that, and, and this is a phenomenon I know that happens right through Ireland, or used to happen pre-COVID, was that that cohort of people, again, would go down to their local hotel for Sunday lunch. Uh, they have the roast beef and the Yorkshire pudding or whatever else they had. Um, and it was a habit that they were in every Sunday. And the fear is, and the fear amongst the hospitality sector is that those habits and those traditions would cease to be. So I guess it's twofold. It's the benefit that cohort, but also... It's just one of the suite of measures that I would like to see government introduce to mm. to help a, a hospitality sector that is really, really seeing a bleak future ahead. I would put it to you that stay and spend is an overcomplicated mess that no one is benefiting from because it's too difficult to use. I tried it myself. I abandoned it after after one experience. It's an it's a mess, Christopher. The percentage take up of stay and spend was in the region of 0.2%. There was a 270 million euro allocation for it to, to, to provide for it and to pay for it, and the take up was 0.2%. That's, now, that's, that's why. That's why. That, but it, I, part of it was due to the timing because it was introduced at a time shortly before uh, a level uh, three lockdown. So that obviously was, was part of the timing issue. But you're right. Uh, tax reliefs, tax receipts, uh, that type of process is off putting. A simple voucher in someone's hand that the cafe, restaurant or hotel can cash in at a later date, I think is a much a more attractive method mm-hmm. and uh, it would entice more people to use it. So that's another, that's another and, reason. And, and the 125, which isn't much more than the 100, if you just gave that to families. Exactly. And so, so if someone asked me, how would you fund this? I think that 270 million is a starting point. But also, I just did a rough calculation there. There's roughly over 600,000 um, over 65s in the country, you'd hope that most of them would uh, t- partake in, in, in the vaccine programme. You're talking about 60 million. So you, you have it there. And I'm sh- I know there's lots of cases uh, for funding, like a, a senator quite rightly made a point last night in the parliamentary party meeting, why not uh, put the, this funding towards mental health? Absolutely right. Why not towards um, health professionals? Absolutely right. But you know, we all have to make a case uh, for different sections of society and I think this is a twofold benefit in that it benefits a vulnerable um, sector society that has made a huge sacrifice. But secondly, um, it's an in- it, the, the tourism and hospitality sector needs supports. Okay. And I also called for a, a, an increase in the TRSS scheme, which has been a success, um, an extension of the EWSS scheme uh, to, to the end of the year, but also, more importantly, and I would really like to see government uh, give some security on this, and the extension of the 9% VAT rate to 2025. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, caller says here, could we, could we ask you, uh, the whole country is locked down in level five, yet the banks are still looking for mortgage payments. 
yeah, and, and trust me, this uh, this conversation took up a, a huge part of the um, discussion at last night's parliamentary party meeting, uh, particularly uh, around the whole area of Ulster Bank, which is a slightly separate issue, but certainly there was calls for uh, a reintroduction of the holiday on mortgage payments. We know that there's tax warehousing going on. We know that the local authorities um, have given rates holidays, uh, and I would agree. I think the, va- the, the, the banks need to step up to the mark here as well. Uh, and give a mortgage rate because there's, there's a, a second issue there as well and, and this doesn't just apply to businesses but we have a situation where because of the lockdown level that we're on uh, construction has come to a standstill yeah. uh, apart from social housing etc so what you have is and I have a, a lot of people calling to my office in relation to this you have situations where young people couples um, are in the middle of building their houses they've had to stop they're paying mortgages on those houses but at the same time they're having to arrange for rent and accommodation and they're double paying and they can't get a break on their mortgage. And I, I would love to see intervention there and that's the case I've made. Okay. Where that goes, I can't, I can't say for sure. I want to talk briefly about mandatory quarantine because, of course, it's, it's being debated at the moment. And, and I, I played this earlier on and I propose to play it again. On Monday, uh, I, or Tuesday, I spoke to a professor of epidemiology in Melbourne uh, called Mike Toole. And because of their experience where it went wrong the first time and they ended up in a very tough, severe lockdown in Melbourne, I asked him for the things that must not happen when we go about mandatory quarantine in Ireland. Have a listen. This is about 46 seconds, Christopher. I think the key mistakes to avoid is um, contracting or subcontracting private security guards, all staff should be employed by a single agency that can be government or um, non-government. The second is that all staff must be tested daily, including their days off. Thirdly, guests have to stay in their rooms for the entire stay. Um, In Melbourne, people are not allowed to smoke either inside or outside their rooms, but they are provided medical support and given nicotine replacement therapy free of charge. Um, And I I think we've learned there cannot be any exceptions. Everyone has to go into quarantine. I take the first and the last there, Christopher. First of all, uh, everyone must quarantine. There can be no exceptions. And he strongly advises against using private security. We're about to do both. Yeah, um... Uh, listen, obviously I heard your uh, uh, caller into your show earlier who is a sergeant, I believe, or a representative of the sergeant. Antoinette Cunningham, General Secretary uh, of the Association yeah. of Gather Sergeants and Yeah, Clearly, there needs to be a lot more communication there because obviously uh, the Gardaí uh, will have a huge role to play uh, in policing this uh, and ensuring that everyone who has been instructed, uh, instructed to go to a quarantine hotel that they do and that they adhere to it. But there's other elements, of course, of the bill that's going through the dial at the moment that they will have to enforce, uh, like stepping up the enforcement measures of non-essential travel. Uh, but in relation to um, you know, contracting out staff, I believe that, uh, and, and Mr. Donnie was questioned on this, uh, that in terms of the resources that we had at our disposal to be able to police that, that that was the option available to them. Um, I totally get your point. Uh, you've, we you've have soldiers. And, yep. And, and for, in fact... Uh, there was a, a TD made a very good contribution on the bill yesterday who suggested that we should use our armed forces uh, to implement that. And to be honest, um, in response, it wasn't ruled out. And I think that that's something that uh, can be looked on and, and develop as we do this. I think there will be a lot of learnings 
uh, in the early days as we go towards... Uh, That's just it. Hotels. We don't have time to learn. They, they tried that in Melbourne and they made a bags of it. We can learn sure. from their mistakes. Yeah. Without I, I, the, the other thing too is why only 20 countries? Why have people coming from a so-called safe country and an unsafe country mixing in the arrivals hall in the airport? Defeats the purpose I think, entirely. I think, PJ, you'll, you'll recall quite well that only two weeks ago I was on your show and, and I felt that the proposals by government did stop short and that they should have gone further. Um, Will you uh, vote against so, this today I, then? I, I won't vote against it because I do welcome a lot of elements of the bill and it is better than nothing. And it is, um, I suppose there's an old saying there, you know, the best time to plant a tree was uh, five years ago, but the next best time to plant a tree is now. And there are, of course, elements of this bill <clears throat> that I welcome, including the uh, tougher measures on non-essential travel, including the increased penalties on travel overseas. They all have to be welcomed and introduced. And 20 countries is better than no country. So we're at a point where, at the moment, we have uh, we don't have mandatory hotel quarantine for any country. So at least it will hopefully, um, you know, pick up the, the worst affected areas. But I must say this. But why not go for it all in one go rather than have to come back to it in, in a few weeks' time? After our conversation, PJ, and while I still believe that we should include more countries in terms of where we have hotel quarantine, you know, you're talking about a sensitive issue. You're talking about Northern Ireland where um, the tensions, uh, and you'd have to agree with this, are at their highest for about... Dublin, Cork and Shannon Airport have nothing to do with Northern Ireland. Stick with the ones we have control over. We can't control the North. Stick with the ones we can't control. Dublin, Cork and Shannon Airport. Everybody coming in there, everybody should be quarantined if we do it right. Listen, as I said, I was on your show and, and I do believe in stricter quarantine measures, but the elements of this bill are certainly better than what we have at the moment and that is no mandatory hotel quarantine. So are you country, kind of so prepared you. to settle for half, member, half measures? I am, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to vote with the government. I, I always vote with, with, with government, PJ. You know, but you, you're saying, Christopher, you're, just, you're settling for half, you're settling for what you know in your heart is a half measure. The key here, PJ, is the rollout of the vaccination. Okay, if we can step up the rollout of vaccination, which we are doing well in terms of European terms, I know we look at our UK neighbours and maybe it doesn't fare as well, but if we can step up a rollout of vaccination and reach those targets that the Taoiseach spoke about, reach the target of 80% of people receiving their first vaccination by the end of June, uh, then that is where the key battleground here. I would also, I, I've encouraged, in the discussion I spoke on, on the bill yesterday, and I did, um, uh, make my sentiments known to the Minister that I would like to have seen it go further. But I did also speak about the key role that antigen testing um, yeah. plays in this. I think That's, another, one that ha- that's another discussion that has to be had in fairness if we're going to get businesses back open. Lastly, lastly, Christopher, I mentioned businesses there. You may have heard me speaking with Susan Ryan earlier on and, and there are other people getting very uncomfortable now business people who've been locked up for their businesses locked up for weeks and months on end sorely tempted to go for it Yeah and I'd, I'd have to PJ at this point echo um, Mary Lou MacDonald's words um, she was on your show earlier and she advised strongly against that move and I would have to echo that I, as I said you know when I was introducing the idea of the voucher scheme I understand businesses are frustrated. I don't understand fully because I'm, I don't have a premises that I'm looking at that's empty where the seats are vacated. I don't have a hair salon. But I guess here's the point, and this is important to remember. A lot of the calls come into my office. 50% are asking for tougher restrictions. 50% are asking for us to open up society. 
And for those who are asking to open up society, it's very hard to disagree with a lot of them because they're, they're, they own hair salons where the incidence of um, spread of the virus has been very low or they own hotels where it's been low or they, 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 they own different businesses where they can actually prove that the spread of the virus has been low in their business. But the point is, what we're trying to do here with these uh, restrictions is to stop mobility of people, stop people moving around, stop gathering of people to stop the spread of the virus. So it's certainly not a reflection of hair salons. We're not saying that they're a hotbed for the virus because they're not. But the point of the restrictions is to slow down mm. the mobility. And I know people understand that, but I would just say and advise, and I know people are frustrated and it's unbelievably tough and difficult please adhere to the guidelines that are there at the moment and, and don't reopen. Yeah, leave it there for today. Thank you very much. As always, Christopher O'Sullivan, uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Cork Southwest, 1850-715-996. You've been watching, I think, Davies' toughest team. I certainly was watching. Not, no, I didn't see it all. I must catch up with it on the player. But I saw episodes of it. Um, and There's something engaging about Davy. There really is. Um, but there's something very engaging about the people that he had on his team. And I'll speak with one of them next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. Just to say something vaguely engaging about watching Davy. Failure is not an option, lads. I wonder what it's like to actually work with him on a, on a series like that. Keanu Mahoney, good morning to you. How are you? What's he like, really? He's actually he's one of the nicest men I ever met in my life. To be honest, like he he's very um, so he's very motivated and stuff. Like the stuff he says, uh, like you kind of feel like you have to act on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's a very nice man, to be honest. He, is. he engages with you. He he looks you in the eye and speaks sincerely to you. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get involved in the show? Everybody got along. How did you get involved? Um, <clears throat> Mick Finn, the Lord Mayor at the time, um, reached out to me and told me that he could give me an interview, you know. Yeah. And the person I was at the time, you know, I wasn't really up for it. Like, I didn't want, I didn't really want to do it or anything, like, and, um, then Katie Burns from the Aircraft School kind of said to me to do it for memory of my friend that passed away, you know. Yeah. And I said, uh, I'd do it so they can, it was the best decision I ever made in my life, really. You know what I mean? It changed yeah. my life around me. You lost a friend to drugs, wasn't it, Keane? Yeah. <laughs> 2016, from overdose. Right. And were you using the same drugs? Yeah, yeah I was using that drug as well. Yeah. So you were fairly, a fairly close one, as it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, 
that was what age were you then? Twenty sixteen. Fifteen. Fifteen. So you were you were struggling to stay on the rails even then. I like before the show. Like I was, I don't know. Like I was going down a very very bad road. Like you know what I mean. Like growing up, I was going down a very bad road anyway. But just before the show, like I was a wreck. Like you know what I mean. I mental health. Like a lot a lot of problems. Like and I had zero confidence. You know what I mean. I couldn't even talk to my family. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. I didn't have the confidence to talk to my own family. Like you know. Yeah. You were you were describing you were an you were an angry child growing up. Angry would be an understatement, to be honest, man. You know what I mean? It would like, um, yeah, very angry child. Like. And do you know where that came from? Um, I've been through a lot, like you know what I mean. Uh, I, I, I did a, I did a podcast yesterday with the two Norries and yeah. it's YouTube and all. I talked a lot about it on that, like you know what I mean. <clears throat> Yeah, I talked a lot of it on the on the podcast, okay. and and we'll, we'll we'll I think we'll share that because it was quite a long conversation, and we only have the few minutes. And and you say that that getting involved with Davy and the show was the best thing that ever happened to you. So having come through it now, what has changed in 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 your life in your mind? What has changed? I wake, I wake up every day happy. Do you know what I mean? I wake up positive, grateful, and that's enough for me. Like, do you know what I mean? That's it's all I want, mate. You know what I mean? I yeah. spent the last 17, 18 years of my life angry at the world, like, you know, I just wake up happy, right? And I can't appreciate enough, like, you know. Isn't I mean? that an incredible work. change? Like, if I could put it into words, I would, but I can't, like, you know. That's mean? okay. That's okay. There was, there was a scene I remember, remember particularly from the program was where he went down on a beach with you yeah. and tied you all together with a rope. And I thought that was an incredible piece of concentration and focus to have you look into yourselves and realise we can actually do this. Yeah, it was, it was a difficult one, Mike, but we got we got we got around there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you you're planning your future now, and and you're looking you you have you want to go for to be a professional bodybuilder. Yeah, it's definitely a plan of mine. I've been passionate about it from a young age, like. All along, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be one, but I never had self-belief or anything, do you know what I mean? It just wasn't possible to me, like, but now I know for a fact that it's possible, like, you know, I'm going to do it, like. That, that self-belief is a fantastic thing to have taken from the programme, but you need a bit of help. Yeah. You're looking for a job? Yeah, look, just for three, four days a week, you know, just something. something I'm working on, and sadly, I know my body might be old, but I need something... So just to keep me going, so I need to be going twenty four seven, mate. What are you looking to do? What kind of work? So I'm all like <clears throat> I'm willing to try something. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what life's about. Like experience. Yeah. Like I'm willing to experience something new. Like you know what I mean? Right. So <clears throat> if anybody who was watching the show and saw you in it uh, would like to give you a start, to give you an opportunity, you'd be eternally grateful. Yeah, I would hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Davy comes across as very fearsome, but I think he got inside your head and he opened he opened your eyes on what was available to you. And yeah, what you could do for yourself. I know what like he kinda of, kinda of made me realise what life's about, like, you know what I mean? There's a lot more to life, like, than just being angry and, and stuff like that, like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not what like Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well listen, I wish you well for the future. 
And if there's, any, if there's anybody out there that would like to, um, to offer you a start, as it were, uh, to help you to fund yourself towards being the professional bodybuilder, then they can contact us. Cian, thank you very much. That's Cian O'Mahony. He was one of the participants, quiet lad, one of the participants on Davy's toughest team. Uh, he has done the Two Norries podcast, which is a fantastic podcast. The two boys are just so good. There are conversations there that go on and on and you never realise you've been sitting listening to a podcast for ages and ages because they just, it's brilliant. It is one of the best podcasts on the system at the moment and uh, they've done one with Kean, um uh, on his story. Uh, look, he struggled at school. Um, he he says he an angry child was an understatement. He was always in trouble mum and dad always been called up to the school got involved with drugs, lost a great friend at the age of just 15 16, life was spiralling out of control and then the former Lord Mayor Mick Finn suggested that he get involved in this and he didn't want to at first and then he did and now he reckons that Davy Fitz is one of the nicest people he's ever met has opened his eyes to a future that he didn't realise existed and that, and that is an incredible endorsement so now he's looking for somebody who might give him a start. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Lots of responses to what Susan Ryan was saying earlier on this morning. I asked you how you felt, PJs, and you haven't held back now, to be honest, including telling me I'm an awful age to have her on. Well, I stand over that decision because I wanted to have a conversation with her. But we'll get to that. I'm going to hold that one back for a little while. Also, a lot of people on about quarantine and about those vouchers that Christopher O'Sullivan TD is suggesting for the over 65s. I'm going to hold on to that because we're going to have a bit of fun in just a second talking about a real Cork tradition. Uh, that's coming. 1857-15996, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 83 96 Email opinion at 96fm. If you miss anything in the first two hours of the Opinion Line this morning, remember the podcast will be available in the early to mid-afternoon. First thing we do is we put the link on Twitter and then it goes in turn to all of the various podcast platforms, wherever you get yours, as they say, and it lands as well on the Cork's 96FM phone app. Go into the podcasts section. It's updated every day, the full show, and it is a freebie, not a penny piece do we charge that that's all happening for you this afternoon and every afternoon 1850-715-996 if you went anywhere else in the world and asked for where they make them and asked for a Battenberg cake you'd get a kind of a yalla thing right maybe white square and made out of yellow and white bits with icing in it and if you're from Cork you would say that's not a Battenberg that's not a batten. A battenborg is a triangle with chocolate on it and, and and brown bits and white. That's not a battenborg. But it is a battenborg. Um, it's the Cork battenborg is the one we know, unique to us. We don't know. Do we know, Vanessa Foran, who changed the recipe of the battenborg to make what we know and love? I'm sorry, sorry. Good morning, everyone. Oh, sorry, yeah. I was laughing at your Battenberg. Yes, who changes? I think Cork made the uh, Battenberg, the Battenberg we know. 
the the one you described the the marzipan pink and yellow it is seems to have been somebody else's creation but our Battenberg and you call it the Cork Battenberg for me it's Battenberg by um I I I can only trace it back to sort of the Thompson's Bakery yeah. and their version of cake and I think Cork's relationship with cake is very unique in that our snowball was always different than the one you see anywhere else. It was a big shoe bun, crispy shoe bun you saw in Rocha stores, coffee that's bar. Right, that's right, that's right. If you remember. And um, uh, the, the Battenberg we're talking about now and going around the world, that's not Battenberg, this is Battenberg. And I think our own Siobhan McSweeney brought it back into the, the Bake Off tent and um, yeah. from there, I think that's where I re-dug re up trying to rebuild the Battenberg that we all know as Battenberg, proper Battenberg. When it came up on the show as part of her um, display, she got the same incredulous looks. That's not a Battenberg. <laughs> it, it, it is just fantastic television, really, um, because... If you were a Bake Off follower, which I am, um, since it starts in season one, and when when Siobhan um, was describing her showstopper, which is a part of the show, and she was on about the Battenberg, and I was giggling, and I was ha I, I was giggling away, knowing exactly what they were getting, and what Prue and the Paul Hollywood were were expecting and I, do, I knew Siobhan had this tongue in her cheek the whole time knowing she was going to blow them out of it and it was it, it triggered something with me because uh, people follow me on Broadsheet and um, the Bake Off series uh, I had spoke about redoing it and getting ideas about how we could do it again mm. yeah. and um, so I, I kind of took it from there but what I would say uh, as well, uh, PJ, is that the original Battenberg that we all know, it wasn't a nice cake. Bridge the triangle <laughs> now, our one. It was like, it, it, you know, I mean, it never well, really know, I, I think if my mammy, mammy arrived home from town when <laughs> she went to do her shopping on a Friday morning, if she arrived home with a Battenberg, we'd nearly take the arm off her for a slice oh, of it. Know, and we wanted began, the heel of it. Got out of the bag. You wanted the heel of it. Uh, stop it. I know. <laughs> but if you look, when we look at it now, you see, we're a lot more spoiled now. And, uh, you know, we're, so we, we thought, uh, we thought this was luxury. And, um, but if you, if you look back when you try and taste it, it's very hard to pull it apart. So, um, I, I said about rebuilding it and, um, your researcher, Fergal, saw the tweets. So uh, I'm almost finished with the recipes. I just want to check, what, redo one more a part in it. Yeah. But you know, uh, it's part. It's it's a it's a cake that deserves to be revived. Yes. Now, whether it's commercially with the bakeries down in Cork or amongst ourselves, well, you can get it. You you can get it. I mean, Old Mill make one. Um, but what I like about yours is that you 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 don't want to use the old sort of baking chocolate or pasty chocolate. You want to use proper chocolate. Well, I what I would say the the cooking chocolate you get now is slightly better quality. Mm. But I mean, do we really know if the original Battenberg was? chocolate or was it chocolate flavouring 
See, I'm being nitpicky here now, PJ. I think it was chocolate. Mm, Or maybe we weren't educated. We thought chocolate began and and ended with dairy milk. But possibly, but you know, I think Cork's relationship with cake is, uh, is very sophisticated, to be honest with you, because we had the best cakes. You can go, you can have your, you can even go, anyone goes to Paris now and they look at all these cakes. Mm. They would still remember a cake they got in Roach Stores Coffee Bar in Thompson's. Now you're talking, one of my that first... That was nicer. One of my first jobs as a young lad was yeah. in Roach Stores. It's a long go, time ago now. But on a Friday, when you'd get paid, what I used to do go into the coffee shop and I'd have one of the chocolate eclairs or you'd have the, the ice cream float drink. Oh, stop it. Yeah. And, and oh, I, yeah. I can't ever remember getting Battenberg in there. No, you didn't. See, you had the individual cakes. Do you know, um, the, like, if you look at some of our, our cakes, that, you know, the apple slice, oh. that has never been managed anywhere else. That the chocolate slice. Word. Our Chester's. Even now today, uh, when uh, I'm uh, back down don't the, court, call the Don't use the Chester word in my presence. Oh, no. It's donkey's gudge and nothing else. Well, now, you see, I had a debate about this. It's Chester if it's topped with white icing. No, it's and not. And it's gudge if it's topped with a bit of no. black puff pastry. No, no, because then they, they'll tell, no, and then they, in Dublin they insult it by calling it gora cake and they can't even make and it. And is nowhere near ours. See, they use bread. Yeah. And listen, they're, they're way behind our cakes. they there's there's nothing nothing to stand out that could stand on top of a, a a cork chocolate slice. Oh God, no! Oh God, no! No, no, no! So, um, the Battenberg recipe, will you have it for us? Well, I I can help your listeners now. Go ahead. And um, what? Well, I tell you, tell everyone who's listening to this now. Baking for me is a spectrum. There's all sorts of bakers, from somebody who will just reheat apple tart or at cons and the three tiers and the fondant figurines and all that, right? This 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 is this is how I've deconstructed it for people. What I did was I made two Madeira cakes in it, but I, I pour, uh, baked them as tray bakes. One is chocolate with just cocoa mm-hmm. and uh, the other I used custard, custard powder to get the yellow. Yeah. Nice too. I have to say, lads, best Best discovery ever. Fantastic. And there is... The, do you remember, folks, the white paste that was between the sponges? Yeah. That is... Um, I've created a, a thing. It's like... You can buy it in a jar, actually. It's called fluff. It's like right. a marshmallow jam. Right. And what I've, what, when I made it up again, I thought you, you, you could hang roof tiles with this. <laughs> Oh my God! It's just magnificent. <laughs> You're not wrong. And instead of the, you know, the block of macchia chocolate, yeah. I used um, dark chocolate. Tesco's uh, dark chocolate with a few spoons of cream. Uh, it lads, we're we're on a winner here now. <sighs> we're taking. We're, we're, what we're doing is we're upcycling the Cork Battenberg. And what you're, I do, you're doing a Battenberg is, with dark chocolate. Yeah. I will be found in a diabetic coma <laughs> with 
with a finished Battenberg and an empty bottle of red wine. <laughs> well, let, let me go back to that for in a moment, PJ, okay? Yeah. But um, what I would tell everyone about this cake is that it's better the day after, I swear to God. Oh, this yeah. Is, oh yeah, because everything kind of melds into itself. So, uh, honestly, and my nana Lulu, oh, she's long gone now, but uh, people will remember the Weldons and Lulu Weldon from in and around the Marsh and so Paris and Pope's yeah. Key area. My nana oh, only ever ate stale bread or stale bread. Yeah. And th- this is the first time I've actually appreciated something. What? Well, even the old Battenberg, and you're probably much younger than me now, but what would happen is Mam would bring it home on a Friday from the shopping and would cut lovely with the knife and we'd have it for the tea. By Saturday evening... Oh, God, you were well got, PJ. I know, but by Saturday evening you'd want a chisel. <laughs> you mean you got two days out of your Battenberg? <laughs> <laughs> he must have been very well to do, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Listen, what we'll do is we we we, we I think we ha- if we haven't shared it already, we'll share your recipe. And I think I hope a lot of people will start doing a proper cork Battenberg, the dark chocolate. I love the idea. The I chocolate. know, but it, it, just if you don't mind, if I go back, pick you up there on your bottle of wine. It, yeah. it just reminded me. Um, it's, it's some cork people actually that have ended up in Australia of all places had had asked me about um, doing. We were talking doing a county colours cake. Mm-hmm. And I was playing around about reviving the Battenberg in um, the Blood and Bandages, Red and White. And then I thought about doing a Tanora cake. So Ooh. I have managed to source tangerine extract from an industrial supplier. So I'm open to ideas and what we could do with this. Um, but th- this Battenberg, I, as soon as I, I just want to test the recipe again, um, particularly on the, the construction. I wasn't very good at the engineering side of it. Um, <laughs> uh, pyramids and block building wasn't isn't my thing. I am a baker, folks, but I'm more into the the steady home bakes, the love cakes, um, the fancy concoctions uh, that you see on the in the showstoppers in front of Paul Hollywood. Um, I I'd be more a a, a, a a spectator of rather than an actual doer. To start but, already, Vanessa Bobby wants to know. I missed the start of this piece. Who's making Battenberg? Is she sharing the recipe online? Pretty please. Oh, of course, of course. I, I have the gist of it, folks. It's basically I'm using Madeira because it's solid. Yes. Um, it's solid and it's firm. And as I say, it, it looks good for another two or three days. Um, and it's a, it's a it's a full day bake, folks. And the, the fluff itself, now it's so easy to make, but my God, it takes over the place. It's <laughs> so sticky, but it's brilliant. It, you'll have great fun making it, and I'd say that. So hopefully by Saturday, PJ, um, I'll have the recipe fully solid, bulletproof for you guys. Brilliant. And we'll we'll share it because I, I, I the idea of having a Battenberg covered in dark chocolate, oh my God. Oh my God! I'm well, weak I tell at the you, knees I, I, here. I'll, um, I'll put you on risk of a of um, a heart attack now. I did over Christmas try um, a white chocolate one with uh, to make it look like a brunch. Do you remember the brunches? Oh, I do. <laughs> the brunch ice cream. Dried razzas in it and, ra- and dried um, strawberries. Oh. Oh. 
We'll be friends, Vanessa. <laughs> Thanks very much. Keep us Thanks in touch. Everyone. Keep in touch with 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 that, and we'll we'll have the whole when she has it perfected. Oh, the Cork Battenberg, uh, best Battenberg in the world. You can get them. Old Mill do them, and they're in quite a lot of. Uh, Shops, you'll see them coming. Thompson's were the ones who made the great one back in the day. The history of the cake, actually, the actual Battenberg, the actual Battenberg was to celebrate the marriage of Prince Louis of Battenberg. There is a place marrying Princess Victoria, Queen Victoria's granddaughter. And that happened in 1884. So that's where it started. They invented a cake for Prince Louis of Battenberg. Well, we in Cork made a proper Battenberg out of it, which they reckon uh, was there in the, well, we had it in the 80s and we had it in the 60s and the 70s. We reckon it's about 100 years old, the Cork Battenberg, 1850-715-996. PG, I came in and out of the conversation. Nothing like Ormond and a Hearn's Chester cake. Gudge. It was wonderful bakery. Um, we're not sure if it was the same place. There was, most recently, an Ormond bakery that makes a lovely gudge. Haven't seen them out there for a while, though. There is a, there is a bakery. Um, I know that the junction out in Toker, um, Drew's Place, and Drew's Garage over there in Turns Cross, they do a donkey's gudge, and they call it donkey's gudge. And it is the best donkey's gudge I've tasted in years. On Kean, oh yes, a few a few little offers have come in with regard to Kean, a few job ideas. So we'll contact him. But the more the merrier. This is Kean, who was on the show with Davy, and he wants to be a professional bodybuilder, but he's definitely got to fund himself through that and prepare himself financially for that. So he's looking to take on a little bit of work. He'll do anything, anything. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Getting back to the politicians and quarantine and all of that next. But I think. The, the, the thought of Battenberg was our little piece of joy on the programme this morning. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 20th to 22nd. So we're asking you to share your story and make a big difference. Share your story and make a big difference. Every year, brave Corkonians tell their cancer stories for Radiothon. Now you can play a big part by sharing your cancer journey. Find out more by emailing radiothon at 96fm.ie. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Oh, I'll take care, take care of you. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. A few messages coming in now about different cakes. Do we remember them? There was, I, I know the one you're talking about, caller, but I can't remember the name of it. But it definitely did exist. It was a cake with two kind of round, fluffy sponges with jam and cream and a chocolate button on top. Yeah, I do. I do remember those. 
Um, they weren't kind of like a queen cake. They weren't like a bun. They were kind of a different sponge. Yeah. There's another argument. Is it a queen cake or is it a bun? That's another cork argument. To me, buns. 1850s, queen cake me arse. 1850s, 715-996. The old mill was set up by people who worked in Thompson's, so no surprise they do Battenberg and chocolate slices. Yes, we're getting a bit of cake-driven nostalgia, which is no harm in the middle of a pandemic. Let us go to Belvelli where residents have called for urgent action to improve road safety. We've talked about this previously because the Bell Valley Bridge, beautiful structure that it is, is old and in need of widening and in need of refurbishment and all of that. And if anything were to happen to it, the Bell Valley Bridge, then Cove and the Great Island would be cut off, badly cut off. And that's just one of the concerns uh, among the Bell Valley Positive Action Group. Uh, Dr. Mary Stack, good morning. Good morning from a beautiful Belvelli. I can imagine it is. I can imagine it is gorgeous down there. Yeah. The bridge is old, um, but, uh, and needs refurbishment and needs widening probably, but there are many other problems down there. Yeah, I think just to widen, uh, pardon the pun now, PJ, the bridge, Belvelli is a small village, right? Uh, an area where we had a beautiful school of old red brick, Belvelli brick. We had a little pub. We had, um, uh, with the post office and those things have all disappeared now and we've actually just become a conduit for 16,000 drivers uh, going over the bridge every where, day. Where, where exactly would that, if you, because I, I don't remember, I should, shame on me, where would the heart of Belvelli village have been? Well, my recollection, I'm here around 30 years and actually my grandparents farmed at the, the Merino across from the old IFI plant and it was always kind of maybe just kind of scattered, but the hub would be right and left of, of the bridge. That's right. what, what my recollection would be. I see, I see, yeah. I see. So, so what are the concerns? D- well, the, the Positive Action Group, I suppose, is kind of set up around 2018, and basically we found ourselves with a, a terrible water supply, and you probably heard all those arguments yes. for years. So now, is it still orange, by the way? Uh, finally, we have lovely water, and... December, Christmas week, 2019, we were popping bottles of water, I suppose, when the rest of the country was popping champagne to celebrate Christmas. So that's how important it was to us. So look, that's one tick box that's done. The other area is that we have no sewer scheme whatsoever, which is a major disappointment because we can see the uh, main drain scheme we are progressing in Cove. We're only about two kilometres away from the nearest uh, connection point there. And it's a pity that the whole island hasn't been taken as one holistic approach by Cork and Council and the government and the, the whole package of cleaning up sewerage into an area which is an SSC and an NHA and you name it, we have the designations uh, PG, you know, so it's just a pity that we're going to be left with those sewerage schemes and a lot of the houses are very old the newer houses will put in, I suppose primary treatment, but you know that's that shouldn't be happening in this day and age. And then the big one, which I'd like to talk about today, obviously, is the traffic. Yes. And our, our neighbours, we all got together March 2019, 24 hours, sat in our cars, ticked all the cars and the heavy good vehicles coming over the bridge. And it was a quiet Wednesday. It was before the tour season. And... Um, you know, and like we just got it as a baseline day, we call it, and we measured, you know, 16,000 vehicles coming and going. 16,000. The, the, the sad part is that, you know, you ask, like, where is the RSA? 
you know, the, the safety authority. I see people even this morning when I was out all wearing the high-vis vests. So they have a presence nationally. But, like, I'd love them to have a presence locally in Belvelli because one of their briefs is to conduct surveys on areas like this. And I think with their support, you know, I would strengthen the claims because everybody wants the best solution for Cove and for Belvelli. Mm. There's only that route over the bridge to get onto the island. And, um, you know, my heart skipped the beat when you mentioned the widening. <laughs> Hopefully that won't be the case. That, that bridge was built in the 1800s, you know, yeah. and... Uh, in fairness to it, I think that bridge needs to be retired. Along with you know, no, 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 you're not wrong, Mary, in fairness. But, but at the same time, it is the only way in and the only way out. And it's going to be that for the foreseeable. And yeah. if anything happens to that, it, it at very least needs to be reinforced. Because if anything happens to that bridge, then you're goosed. Yeah. But like, um, but the long-term plan, as of now, my understanding is that Corkman Council is still waiting to get funding to do the study Right, just yes. to do the study to come up with the plan for, for how the, Irish is that? So that's how far back we are, and all that was agreed back in 2008. It's unfortunately went into that big recession, and they had hired a company, McDonald. They came up with certain proposals. We went through all the environmental legislation and all the the public participations, and you know everything was done and dusted, and then the crash. You know, so now we find ourselves rather well, just nearly 15 years on or more, and still going back to the drawing board and saying our hands holding our hands up, saying we're looking for funding to do a study. No, I mean decades are passing here, not just days, decades. Yeah. And and I think your fear is, and the fear of your group is, with near misses, as I'm qu- reading a quote in the Echo, with, with near misses on a daily basis. Yeah, it won't I, be a near miss one of these days. I mean, we have catalogues and libraries of photographs and video clips. And uh, unfortunately, it's not a black list because there's not fatalities. But, like, does it have to be a fatality, you know, for something to be done? And it's it's just scary because you just have a combination of, like, you'll have your tourist buses and there'll be locking horns with the wood chip trucks. You'll have your chemical trucks getting stuck in the corner with the Cove Connect bus. You'll have... The school bus getting cast with the construction trucks. Everything is getting stuck out in the small stretch of Belle Valley Lower at several points along the road. And then you have to go through um, Carrigaloo as well, which is a nightmare for the people living in there. So it, it needs a big plan, you know. Um, resurfacing was done last year. And, like, the sad part, and you, know, you said the laughable part is that the resurfacing stopped 100 metres from the bridge. So they came out from Oyetboy, or the Muni Point, and it stopped 100 metres before the, the bridge. Ran out of funding, I'm not sure. But all you hear then, for the people living on that ribbon development there on, on the road, is that you hear um, the, the crashing and the banging and the vibration because the road is subsiding. God. It, 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 when you when you tell me that since 2008 you're just waiting for a study and here we are in 2021 and the study hasn't even started. Yeah, yeah. The, the level of frustration must be enormous. Yes, I remember my neighbour, Mr Hart, and I went up about 12 years ago and I said, Mr Hart, come on over to the public consultation that's on in, in, in Boulder and um, we, we'll go over together. And he said, Mary... They talked about that road 20 years ago. He said, that road won't happen. I'll be dead. <laughs> and unfortunately, we don't have my neighbour now. And I'm thinking down the same lines. Will I be here in 10 years' time? You know, <laughs> saying the same thing. Because 
Fierce, fierce frustration dragging, altogether. Dragging and dragging. Fierce, well, you know, the the most important thing is that, like, to me as a Corbonian, Cove has missed the first two Celtic Tigers, right? Now it is just taken off to tourism, to the massive efforts of Cove Tidy Towns. I mean, it's it's just a beautiful place to visit now. And we want to be totally supportive of getting people into Cove and getting them out safely. But it, it, you just need to have a look at, if it was the IDA model, what did the IDA do when they're bringing in industry? They prepared the site, they prepared the roads, they prepared the sewage, they prepared the water. They give you the vacant site, everything's ready, go and build your development. And yeah. we just don't seem to do that. We want to put in the developments, we want to put in the cruise liners, we want to put in the, the piers and the pontoons, but we're not providing the mechanism to get them in and out of Cove safely. All right, leave it there for today. I've no doubt we'll talk again as we've talked many times about Belvelli and that general over and back to the Great Island. One road in, one road out. If anything happened to that bridge, it'd be goosed altogether. But there are many other problems besides. Thank you, uh, Dr. Mary Stack from the Belvelli Positive Action Group, their traffic subgroup. A very well organised group of people down there. 185715 on. Battenberg. Catherine says, you brought back many happy childhood memories of my mother coming from town on a Friday with a white box of cakes tied up with brown string. Yes, yes, a white box of cakes tied up with brown string and she'd carry them like they were eggs for fear they'd even bump coming up the road. Yeah, I remember those. Ellen says, Mrs. Cummins' shop on Gerald Griffin Street had Battenberg on a Saturday, the best ones ever. Uh, sometimes they call it a pyramid cake. No, it's a Battenberg. Uh, the cake with two round fluffy sponges. Uh, Vanessa has been back on, on Twitter to say that that sponge sandwich cake with the button was called BAP. Supposedly, it was for dieters. <laughs> Promised I'd read this out. Antoinette was on earlier on. She posted it on Facebook this morning and I tell you, she wouldn't be your daughter, Antoinette, if this wasn't what she was saying. Brexit assignment today, she says, with Katie from her teacher and she comes out with this. What is the point of politics? Because what they say they're going to do is the total opposite of what they actually do or they take so long to actually do something, it's a waste of time. Then they have to come up with something new and start all over again. 14 years of age, and she has the government sussed out in one sentence. <clears throat> That's my girl. Yeah? Yeah, she's not wrong at all. Let's look at the borders. Uh, a couple of comments held over. I know someone travelled to the UK last week through Dublin for a family matter. He wasn't stopped or asked where he was going or if it was essential. Mandatory quarantine is the only way to stop it coming into the country. Cork and Kerry currently have the lowest 14-day cases. Why is the south of the country suffering? Because Dublin cannot get their act together. And that is the question we've been asking all week and even for the last couple of weeks. As Cork crushes the numbers, Kerry crushes the numbers, Kilkenny even crushing the numbers, and, and we will get to the levels we were at last summer in Cork, possibly, possibly by after Easter, if we keep going at the rate we're going. Whereas Dublin is still is still a mess. Uh, everyone should remember that back along last year, we imported this disease largely from Italy and from Austria. 
Tom wants to know what kind of measure is a 20-country quarantine. We know the variants can come from anywhere. It's ridiculous to be seen to do something. Um, not a lot of love for the idea of hotel vouchers that Christopher O'Sullivan was talking about. Uh, are they just buttering us up with 30 pieces of silver hoping we'll forget the lunacy of the past year? And on Susan Ryan earlier on this morning, and uh, there are tens of thousands of us in the city getting on with it, keeping the head down, listening to the top man, going with the science. I've all often called in to rebut those who wanted tighter rules because I listened to the people who make the decisions. I think it was a bad idea to have her on and the fellow you had on yesterday, who I assume is Paul Trevode. The sacrifices other people are making are just as real and just as serious in some cases even more. So we don't want to add to the burden of other people calling for special treatment. I'm truly horrified. Fair enough, and, and thank you for that. Tim, you'll be on the radio very soon with me, just about less than one minute. I'm just going to go through one or two other comments on Susan. Can't believe what I'm hearing. Other people then saying Susan's 100% right. This has gone on too long. We're being strangled. I don't agree with her. I need my hair done, my eyebrows waxed, but I'll wait till it's safe. And well done to the supermarkets for keeping us fed. Becky says this is how angry people are. She's making good points. She speaks for us all how upset we are. Betty says the lady is right. PJ isn't always. PJ never claims to be always right, by the way. Ger, I completely agree. I have huge sympathy for her. John says when this is all over, the exchequer is going to be in serious trouble. I know we could borrow, but the money should be used for CAMs and for special needs. And a caller says, I can't believe that woman is going to roll the dice with my life and those of others now that we have the possibility of dangerous variants. Wasn't it only this week we were warned of the danger of an Irish variant? I know businesses are going through trouble at the moment, but it makes you value the businesses just getting on with it all the more. Let us go to Tim. Tim emailed us in the last couple of days concerned about something that the Minister for Justice said on an RTE programme the other morning. When she was talking, I think, Tim, she was talking about the changes in the licensing laws that she's looking at for when all this is over. Good morning. Hi, Peter. How are you? Good. What What? What? what, what did, she, did she say that bothered you? Well, she was t- started about the extending the opening hours. Now, we may or may not do that, and it may or may not be a good idea. But Gavin Jennings asked her, pushed her and said, isn't that just, you know, allowing people to drink for longer? And then Helen said, no, it's about expanding the cultural offering that we've got in this country. And the way I interpret that, and she repeated this remark a couple of times in the interview with Gavin, the way I interpret that is alcohol itself is now to be a cultural offering. Say, as I said in the email, along with say, Bloomsday, say an event like the Jazz Festival, the Film Festival, the Dublin Theatre Festival. Yeah, I, I have a quote, just just the lads have been kind enough to transcribe for me yeah. exactly what was said. And she said it's not just about longer hours or giving people another hour in the pub. It's about ensuring that we can give as much cultural offering to people that's possible when COVID does lift. The questioner, Gavin Jennings, said, so your plan is allow people to drink for longer? And she said, no, this is about providing variety. It's about giving as much cultural offerings 
as possible. Do you not think she could be saying, well, if we keep the pubs open a little bit longer, we can put on a bit more music and a bit more entertainment? We do. Well, it seemed to be all about to see the, the, the to listen to her to uh, the alcohol and the longer opening hours. Yeah. I'm not objecting to that in particular, but if we're going to do a big thing like extend opening hours, we need to have a broad, intelligent and deep debate about our attitude to alcohol in this country. I live in the city centre here, and I see uh, teenagers, 20-somethings now, wandering around the streets looking wasted from the abuse of alcohol. Yeah. Um, They didn't cause the... I haven't caused the off licences for the pandemic. Now, you've had a very good discussion about that as regards domestic violence and other things. But I've had... As it happens, I'm a lifelong teetotaler myself, but I've dealt with the results of alcohol and the abuse of alcohol in, as a teacher in um, teaching addicts or recovering addicts and also as a voluntary worker over the years. Yeah. And going back 25 years, uh, I was telling Terry yesterday I was injured, I was punched in the course of trying to rescue somebody or save somebody who was unconscious as a result of abuse of alcohol 25 years ago yeah. as a member of a voluntary organisation. Do you think we have <clears throat> Do you think we have an unhealthy relationship? PJ, we need to face it. Our attitude to alcohol as a society and as a nation stinks to high heaven. There's a, there's a kind of, um, um, uh, even in the media, you have very good discussions about it, but even elsewhere in the media, there seems to be a sort of omerta about discussing it and How do you mean? How do you mean? Well, you 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 see, um, there's a lot of promotion of gin in particular, and these uh, so-called craft distilleries in the media. And in the meantime, we hear this thing about drink responsibly, but it's not really followed through. Uh, there's no education around alcohol now, um, and the attitude we need. What I'm saying it really is. Helen McEntee the other morning, I mean, if any sensible minister or any minister with common sense would have said, yes, maybe propose to open the, long, the longer pub hours, but we need a broad debate on our attitude to alcohol. And we also need, you don't hear anything about, say, increasing the funding for domestic violence. You don't increase increase funding for, say, relationship counselling mm-hmm. um, and all that. It's all about extending opening hours and increasing the provision of alcohol. But we, we do to... have some of the most prohibitive opening hours in Europe. We probably do, but I'm, what I'm saying is, is our, we, need to, we, we can consider extending the hours, but we need to have a serious look at our attitude first. Because I think as a nation, uniquely our attitude is, does uh, stink to high heaven. Maybe it, that's because of the attitude of, oh, it's a bad thing. Like, I love a point. In fact, let's yeah. put it, not put it to that. I love several points. And, yeah. and I consider myself to be a moderate social drinker. Do I occasionally go over the top and get pissed? Of course I do. Absolutely yeah. I do. But I don't consider myself to have an unhealthy alcohol relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Funnily enough, even though I grew up as a teetotaler, I don't agree with... Uh, and they were big into it in the States, where I taught lessons myself. But you see, moderation has to be... It's not something that will happen if it's on a card. It happens as a result of education. Maybe education helps with it, yeah. So parents teach their their kids how to drink. 
most especially parents. My dad worked in a bar for 25 years with yeah. Moonies in Cook Street. Some people might remember it. But we got a very good education and rearing. As alcohol, this car, parents taught us was a resource, like any yes. other resource. Yes, yeah, brilliant. What encur- why, why did you become, was there a reason why you became teetotal or was it just you didn't like drink? I think we were in, in those days, bars were quite different. We were quite, we were in Moonies a lot as children. It was a very kind of friendly place, welcoming place, uh, and so on. And I think I, well, personally anyway, I, we saw the good, the bad, and the ugly in there. Yeah, it was very yeah. well run and very well managed. But obviously you saw, you kind of took in unconsciously, I think. Mm. Uh, people who overdid it a bit are, uh, and so on. That's my theory. It's only my theory. But yeah. I, 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 you see, moderation won't happen of itself. It'll happen. That my, as I said, my experience is different because uh, witnessed the bear growing up, close up, close yeah. up when I was growing up. But parents, especially, have to get the idea of moderation into yes. their children. Yes, yes, I'm completely with you there, by the way. And schools then have to back that up with other education. But the schools are doing uh, quite a lot, but it's not backed up by the parents. I yeah, know the teachers, yeah. certainly, I keep hearing teachers say this, it falls, their work falls apart at four o'clock yeah. when, when the children go home. Yeah. Do you think we need to have a more continental-style approach to drinking culture? Uh, you might remember, PJ, a few years ago, I think it was Michael McDowell. No, I know a political connection. Michael McDowell, yeah, yeah, I know who you're going. Yeah, yeah. But Michael McDowell proposed the Café Bardelli idea. Yes. And re- it was stifled by public and TDs, TDs, politicians who were in the pub business at the time. And they should really revive that mm. and combine the food with the alcohol because there has been a lot of uh, evidence to say if you combine food with alcohol, it moderates things, it slows yeah, yeah, things down yeah. and... Yeah. And so, like, now, the thing is, drugs are banned, yeah. but you still have drug addicts, right? What'll happen with the changes they're proposing will stagger closing times. Like, it, it won't surely make any change in the amount of alcoholism. Like, someone who wants to drink will always find yeah. a way to drink. Yeah. But we still need to... We, we're not having any discussion of our attitude to alcohol. That's my reply. And also, we hear about things like domestic violence... Which but isn't this an attitude of some people, Tim, not all? Well, I don't know. As I say, I walk the streets there, coming home, and you see groups uh, around, business, especially there, buildings like car parks, um, and I see teens. But, but they don't, uh, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, that's not an indication of what we're all doing. No, but, but, but as I say, there are still you still see well before the pandemic anyway coming out of the the the, the street little repair cans and so yeah, on. Yeah. I'm saying we can't do this. It's not one thing we do like extending pub openers. It's a broad range of things. We 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 need to have a broad debate. Take, take a look. Take a look at our at our drinking habits as a nation and how we educate young people to 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 take drink if you if you like or how to, how to handle drink. Tim, thanks. Very interesting call and very interesting email, which is appreciated. Eighteen fifty seven one five.
996. The reason you don't bring home a box of cakes to the kids nowadays, remember the box tied up with string, carrying them like they were diamonds? Yeah, it's the price of them. I wanted to treat my kids last week and I went to buy a fresh cream Swiss roll. 9.50. And you'd only get four slices. Yeah. 1850-715-996. Just someone, I'm going to give the last word on Susan Ryan. And yes, if you open something like that salon, Someone else will do it, and it'll grow and grow, and the rest of us will be penalised. There are many people feeling low at the moment, but we have to listen to the medical people, and we all have to keep making a sacrifice if we want to come out of this. And that's it. Leave you with that thought for this morning. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we shall see you in the morning just after nine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.